Hey, thanks for checking back in and joining me for another episode of Why D and D. Is this all real, or is it just happening inside my head? Of course, it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? Well, I guess it's about time that we talk about the elephant in the room, especially for those who might not be overly experienced in the world of Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games. And that is, why are there so many rules that make the game so confusing? I don't know if you've ever seen a D&D character sheet before, but they are perplexing. They are complex. They are confusing. There are skills that have scores that go through an equation to give you smaller scores that you use more often. And there are um, other things your character can do that are pulled off of those scores, but you add random things to them based on this other score over here that we haven't even seen yet. And your spells do this much damage, and this axe or this blade uh, does this much damage under these circumstances. It is seemingly endless, the list of calculations and rules that go into games like Dungeons and & Dragons. And no doubt, that is daunting. It is, I would argue, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, obstacle in new people becoming interested and involved in the game. It's just so much to learn. And when you're at the table and you don't have a complete or whole understanding of it, it feels like uh, you're kind of the odd one out if there are other people that are more experienced. And um, this isn't the point of today, but if it's any encouragement, if you are someone like that, most good, reasonable D&D players are happy to help out um, newer players at the table understand the rules, even while we play. Um, I see that more often than not, because I think we all have a pretty um, common understanding that this is tough stuff. So this whole side of D&D that is seemingly such a big obstacle, something that can seemingly take a game of uh, creativity and imagination and make-believe and turn it into something akin to statistics or algebra really feels like you're just dragging it through the mud. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but the overlap of creative, imaginative, storytelling role players isn't uh, greatly overlapping with people that are into statistics and code and calculations. There are there is some overlap there, but it's it's not that hefty. And and so why is a game based on creativity and imagination and make believe requiring so much of this left brain, if you will, um, or right brain, whichever one is the non-creative side of the brain, which isn't even an actual thing, that's more of a myth. Than anything else but you know what i'm trying to say why does this game require so much of this well maybe they have their place maybe they're there for a 
good reason, as daunting as they are. So let's spend some time in this episode talking about what a few of those reasons might be. If you ask me, these are the reasons why these rules, these equations, these calculations, these scores are valuable to the game of D&D, which I believe is primarily one for make-believe, imagination, storytelling, and creativity. So, the first thing that I think often pops up in the minds of people that don't have any experience with the game is why are there so many rules if A, it's a game about make-believe where you should be able to do whatever you want, and B, you're not really competing. Most games that we play have rules because there's some kind of competition involved and the playing field needs to be even, equal, and fair. And yet, you know, there's always that kind of stereotypical joke of you come home from playing D&D and someone at your house asks, did you win? And that question doesn't really land with D&D players because it implies there was some kind of competition in order to win or lose. That's not really how the game works. I hope that's clear in the last three episodes. And so if there's no competition, why are there rules? Well, there's a much broader answer, I think, but let me even give you an easy one for now, is I do think there is some element of competition in D&D, depending on how your group operates. You know, I'm usually the GM, the game master, the one controlling the monsters and the creatures that are out to get the players. And so it wouldn't be very just of me to just make up the amount of damage I can do to the players on the spot and say, whoops, you're dead or whoops, you absolutely crushed it, right? If that's just happening, if that's just floating around, if that part of D&D is improv, then when you lose an encounter or when you win an encounter, it doesn't really mean that much. It doesn't even change the story a whole lot. Like, the story can work with you losing or work with you winning. But for those of us at the table experiencing this, you want your you want your defeat to come across as, wow, that was really hard. It was consistent. And even though we tried our best, we lost. That's some still a meaningful defeat. And if you win an encounter, if you come out on top and slay your enemies, slay the monsters, you don't want it to be because the GM just handed it to you because he felt like, or she felt like you should win. That's not meaningful at all. But if you know there were rules and structure in place that you had to utilize or overcome, and through that trial, you triumphed, that's exciting. And so, yes, D&D as a whole is not a competitive experience, but there are plenty of scenes where you and your adventuring party are in the woods or in a cave or on a mountain, and you're being attacked by enemies that are out to kill you, and you defend yourselves, or maybe you're attacking, and it's challenging because of the rules and the mechanics and the calculations. And in that that storm of scores and skills and numbers you come out on top and it's meaningful because you won justly and fairly 
So there is some element of competition, but it takes place within a game where competition is not the point. I hope that makes some kind of sense. The next huge asset that rules, numbers, scores provide is limitations. And again, you might ask, well, how are limitations, how are constraints valuable in a game primarily centered around make-believe? If we're playing a game where you can theoretically do whatever you want, why are limitations and constraints an asset? Well, even out of the D&D TTRPG world, there have been plenty of studies that show that limitations and constraints boost human creativity considerably. It kicks your critical um, creativity into gear. It sparks your imagination because when you're up against a challenge, when you're up against constraints and limitations, you really step up to meet them in order to do what you're trying to do. And the amount of creativity and imagination that requires those creative moments, those imaginative moments make a Dungeons and Dragons experience really profound and really beautiful because there was a legitimate challenge there because of the rules, because of the numbers, there was a legitimate constraint and limitation there that no, you couldn't just as an a elf warrior walk up to the feet of a giant and um, grow up to its height, bringing your blade with you as it scales up as well and you swing it around over your head, chop off the dragon's, uh, the giant's head and as it collapses, you turn into a dragon and you breathe flames all over it, um, destroying the corpse once and for all. Like, I know last episode we talked about allowing your imagination to run wild without limitations and constraints, but when it comes to the experience at the table, adventuring, exploring, combat, I want those limitations and constraints in place because it makes the challenge more meaningful. It makes what my character is capable of more meaningful as I, as I utilize it to meet that legitimate challenge. So constraints make us more creative and being more creative is a massive asset to the D&D experience, to your group as a whole, and even to your own enjoyment as you play your character in this make-believe world. Hand in hand with that, these rules, these scores especially, like each D&D character is good at nuanced things, right? You have your strong man who's good at chopping the heads off monsters. You have your, you have your arcane magic user who knows all these spells that can get you out of tricky situations. You have your, your, you have your thief who knows the streets and is stealthy and can hide and sneak around, right? So you have all these classes in D&D that have unique scores for accomplishing unique purposes. And when you bring those unique classes together into an adventuring party, you begin to rely on each other more and more as more challenges arise. If you are all strong men, 
then the scenes where you might need to be a little sneaky to get into the place where the heist is supposed to happen, it's really, really hard for you because you're not trained in stealth. But if you're all thieves who are, strained, are, who are all trained in stealth and know the streets, and you come up against this platoon of enemies, then you're going to be kind of screwed over if they're all strong men. And so even though your character is limited in what he or she can do, you have the others at the table. You have your adventuring team, your adventuring party to rely on. And that teamwork builds connections and builds relationships. And it's really just helpful for the human spirit, I believe, um, to even in a game, rely, trust, depend on each other in that way. These rules and scores and mechanics calculations also give you um, opportunity to have goals for your character. Assuming you aren't starting at max D&D character level where there's nowhere else to go, then as you play and as you gain experience points or as you level up, you have different routes you can go and, and, and you can look ahead and go, wow, that skill, that feature that my character can have in a couple of levels sounds really awesome. And I see how it would be so helpful to this story and this adventuring party. I can't wait till I get there. And then as you play, you work your way closer and closer to that. And having a goal that you're working towards stirs something up in you that makes you really, really appreciative of every chance you get to play. And so that's one other way the rules and the numbers of D&D um, make the game more beautiful, in my opinion. And lastly, and this has to do more with rolling dice than it does making calculations. You know, for, for those of you who aren't familiar at all, the core mechanic of D&D the core thing you're supposed to do to move the game forward is you roll a d20, a 20-sided dice. And that's a scale. If you roll a 1, the worst possible thing can happen, and you do not succeed what you were trying to do. And if you roll a 20, that's the greatest possible scenario, and you succeed very well. And so every time you roll that d20, which you roll more than anything else in D&D, this is the mechanic that gets used more often than anything else. Every time you roll that d20, the next moment in this make-believe world, in this collective, this collectively built story, lies in the hands of chance as that d20 rolls across the table. Whatever it lands on changes the course of the story, changes the construction of the world changes the development of your character every time you roll it and that element of chance is what makes these make-believe worlds a little bit more like a reality because it's not just whatever we say at the table goes we can come up with anything we want but time and time again as much as we collectively craft this story and construct this world and develop our characters with our choices, time and time again, the D20 comes out. And when you come up against a challenge or a trying to move ahead, you leave it in the hands of chance. 
And that makes the world, the experience feel like it has a life of its own. And it's a very um, collective experience for your group because it's not like one person keeping a secret or hiding or leading everybody else onto this next thing. You're all in the hands of fate. You're all in the hands of whatever that D20 ends up rolling. And that is where so much of the fun lies in these games is that chance is that fate. And a lot of that is numbers. It's just chance and you roll, right? Sometimes you add things to those rolls. Like I said, each character has unique skills. And so you might be rolling the D20 to try and sneak uh, into a house. But if you're a thief, you get to add like eight points to whatever you roll. So you could roll a three, but your score is actually 11, right? And so that's why you would want a thief on your team because somebody um, has that strength for those particular challenges. And then maybe you have a strong man, you know, who adds eight to every time he tries to hit anything. And so when you have all these monsters coming at you, you want him on your side swinging and hitting most of his shots because even if he rolls well, sorry, if, if, even if he rolls unwell, he gets to add a lot of points to his roll and slay the monsters, right? And so, yes, rules are daunting in this game. The character sheet itself is daunting. And there's so much to keep track of and so much to learn and so much to Google every single time you play. <laughs> but being able to shift your view of those rules, those mechanics, numbers, and calculations from being an obstacle to playing an enjoyable game with your friends to being an asset, to seeing how they promote creativity, to see how it promotes teamwork, to see how it constructs worlds and develops characters, then I think there's a much deeper appreciation to be found. Now, all that said, rules lawyers are a thing. If you don't know what that term is, those are the people, and this is going to be an extreme case because everybody does this to a certain degree, but the extreme rules lawyers are the people that sit down at a D&D &D table and act as a opponent of storytelling and imagination and creativity by bringing down the hammer of the law every time a rule gets sculpted a little bit or a role maybe gets exaggerated a little bit or under exaggerated a little bit or maybe a spell doesn't go exactly according to its description because it would be cooler if it didn't right you don't want to have the attitude of a rules lawyer either which is the rules are the most important thing in this game and if we don't if we don't follow the rules to the letter then we are incapable of having a good time or playing a good DD game because that's not true either and so, like, even in the D&D &D books, like, the canon, the, even in the canon D&D &D handbooks, over and over again, they say, these rules are a foundation for you to play the game. You are not meant to listen to every single word and every single rule and apply them every single time you have a chance. Even Dungeons & Dragons, the company itself, 
for years and years and years has recognized that is more of a hindrance than anything. So, long story short, you might be a D&D group. You might be in a D&D group that really doesn't use rules a whole lot. And collective storytelling, character development, and art are, are their largely primary elements of their games. I have played D&D games. I've gone a few hours in an evening rolling very few dice because the characters are interacting with each other, with the world, with NPCs so much, so beautifully that trying to squeeze in mechanics and roles and statistics would really ruin that experience. And I've also had evenings where it's mostly terrifying encounters and challenges where the group has to really put their teamwork to the test and utilize their nuanced skills to move forward. And those are also beautiful. There's no right or wrong way to play D&D if you're all having fun. That is the point. It is a game at the end of the day and games exist to challenge us in enjoyable ways. So if you are not having an enjoyable time, you're probably doing something wrong. But that's really the only case where you would be doing something wrong because if everyone is having fun, you're playing D&D well. Thanks for listening again, guys. Um, thanks for listening again, guys, <laughs> to another episode of Why D&D. I hope this helps. This is one of the trickier topics of D&D that doesn't really make sense to a lot of people about why there are so many rules. But I hope after listening to this, you're able to see it in a slightly more beautiful light than before. We'll catch you next time. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real?